Amen. Scripture reading this morning is from John 11, 1 through 45. It's a long scripture reading, so try to maintain your attention. And it's not only the overall part of the story that's so interesting, but also certain verses. So I'll try to be a little bit dramatic so you can pay attention. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus, after having heard that Jesus that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now trying to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Well, let us go to him. Thomas, who was also called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Fred deserves a round of applause. I apologize. Last week I said I thought the scripture reading was the longest for the year. Well, we've broken that record this Sunday. I don't think next Sunday will be quite so long. But I tell you, you know, I really wrestle with what would I cut out of that scripture? What, what? And you'll see as I get into it in, in a few moments why I really had a struggle. To, what, what would you cut out? Because there's so much packed into this text. I hope that uh, when you go home that you'll get your Bible out and read through this story again after you've heard some of my interpretation of it and uh, and. Uh, See what, what you glean from it as well. But thank you, Fred, for doing such a wonderful job for, for us this morning. Let us turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we pray that you would give us your wisdom this morning from this text. We pray that the story will come alive for us in a way that we can maybe understand what it's, what it's telling us now. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, the shortest verse in the Bible is in this, this story, of course, Jesus wept. Now, in the New Revised Standard Version, which is the translation that uh, Fred re read for us, uh, it's not quite so short. Jesus began to weep. Now, that's probably more technically uh, correct in the translation of the, of the Greek, but I still like Jesus wept. I, that just, uh, uh, I think it says it, says it all. The question is, why did he weep? Because ultimately, we want to find out, does God weep for us? So let's first find out why Jesus was weeping in the context of this story. Was he sad because Lazarus had died? You know, what, was he missing his friend? Is that why he cried? Or did he feel the grief of his friends? Did he look around and he see all the people, Mary and Martha and, and all the other crowd that had gathered around the tomb of Lazarus? Was he so moved with 
sympathy that, that he wept with them? The answer is no and no, emphatically no. Bear with me. I'll try to explain. It goes back, and I wouldn't want to add more uh, scripture to the reading for Fred this morning, but to really understand what's going on here, especially with the disciples, you need to look back in chapter 10, because what happens in chapter 10 is Jesus is in the temple with his disciples, and he dares to equate himself with God. We read in chapter 10, verse 30, he cries out in the temple, the Father and I are one. Now think about it. If somebody came through the doors of our church and sat here and then stood up and said, God and I are one, we are one in the same I am God in essence. How would you react to that? Well, I tell you how the people reacted in Jerusalem. They started picking up stones and they were going to stone Jesus for what he had just claimed to be. So he and his disciples have to escape from Jerusalem and they go across the Jordan River uh, down that road that leads to Jericho. It's 17 miles crossing over the Jordan River into the into the area where the Essenes uh, lived, where John the Baptist did his work near the Dead Sea that we know of today. And that's where they sort of encamped for a while. And that's where they were when the news of Lazarus's illness comes to Jesus. Now, when he is told that Lazarus is ill, he stays two days longer. That's what John tells us. He stays two days longer. Now, that is so strange that John has to tell us that he loved Mary and Martha, or Martha and her sister in Lazarus. That's in verse 5. In, in other words, John is writing this story, and he's thinking, wow, if people heard that Jesus stayed two days after he was told that his friend Lazarus was ill, people are going to think, well, he just didn't care. So John wants to make a point that he doesn't not go to him because he doesn't love him. In fact, he does love him. Clearly, Jesus has something in mind. He has a plan. Whether or not the other disciples and those around him understand what that plan is, he has a plan. Now, the disciples were probably very happy with Jesus. Stay two days. Hey, let's stay a week. Let's stay a month. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They they were from up in the north in Galilee. They, they, didn't, they didn't really think too much of Jerusalem other than that it was the place where the temple was, but they didn't want to go back there and risk the possibility that Jesus would be stoned and maybe they'd be stoned as well for being his disciples. They were perfectly content staying where they were across the Jordan River. But finally, Jesus decides to go to Lazarus and of course, the disciples object. He tells them that Lazarus has died. In fact, he uses a kind of euphemism. He says that he has fallen asleep, much like we might say someone has passed away. And if someone were taking us literally, they'd say, what, what do you mean he's passed away? Did he, did he go down the street or somewhere? I mean, but it, this euphemism would be understood to mean that he had died. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples. Well, they kind of, they don't want to go. So they just kind of pick up on the literal meaning of what he has said. And, and they say, well, it, you know, if, uh, if, if he's fallen asleep, 
he will be all right. In other words, he'll wake up. Let's not worry about Lazarus, okay? So Jesus has to make it very clear. No, no, no. I'm not talking about him falling asleep. I'm talking about him being dead. And so Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. He uses another word that is very emphatic about that. There's no question what he means now. Well, the disciples decide to go, and Thomas, that you know, the Thomas that we know of is doubting Thomas. He's he's kind of you can almost see him shaking his head, and he's saying, "Okay, <clears throat> let us also go, that we may die with him." <clears throat> they're they're not really looking at what Jesus might be attempting to do with Lazarus. They're they're kind of resigned to they're just going to go there and maybe go to the wake, maybe be a part of the funeral, and then be stoned to death. You know. They're not looking for what Jesus has in mind. Now, we happen to know, because we know the whole story, we know what Jesus is planning. We know that he's planning on raising Lazarus from the dead. That's why he waited for Lazarus to die. He had even told his disciples earlier, though they probably were not listening, when he first got the news that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's in verse 4. I mean, from the very beginning, when the illness came upon Lazarus and when when Jesus heard about it, he was already preparing his, his disciples saying, listen, I've got a plan here. And it's, it's to show the glory of God. That's what it's all about, you see? But they're not listening. All they're, all they're listening to is the danger that lies waiting for them in Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus <clears throat> has no reason to be sad for Lazarus. Why, why would he be sad for Lazarus? He has purposely waited for him to die. In, in, in essence, you might say he wanted Lazarus to die so that he could raise him from the dead. He has no reason to be weeping about Lazarus. He has a plan, and his plan is to raise him from the dead. <clears throat> now, when he arrives in Bethany, which is two miles away from Jerusalem, that's why the disciples were really not too keen on going to Lazarus, When he arrives there, he's right on the edge of the village there, and Martha comes out to greet him. This is Martha. I mean, remember, Martha's the one that works in the kitchen when Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's busy with work. She's always concerned about doing the proper thing, the right thing. And even though she's grieving the loss of her brother, she wants to do the right thing. So she goes out to greet Jesus, sort of like to start the receiving line. And she goes out to him, but she is still so overcome with grief that that her grief comes out in anger with Jesus. She can't hold it back. It just just blurts out. And she says to Jesus, the very first words out of her mouth are, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think Fred did a wonderful job of reading that because it captures the the anger that she felt. In fact, I, I encourage you, if you get a chance to see the 1965 movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, I think of all the, the, the movies that were made about the life of Jesus, I think that movie captures this scene better than any other. So many others do not capture the anger of, uh, 
of Martha when she comes to, uh, comes to Jesus. But clearly she's angry. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then it's almost, have you ever said something and, you know, the words get out of your mouth and they're right about here, about arm's length, and you want to grab them and bring them back because you know what you've just said is kind of not so good. You're kind of embarrassed by what you've just said. You want to go, come on back, come on back. That's the way Martha was. Because as soon as she said, Lord, if, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. She says, well, even now, I, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. You see, she's, she's kind of changed the tone. She said, uh, but in spite of my anger, in spite of me saying you can't do anything, I know that whatever you ask, you can do. So Jesus tells her why he came. And why he waited. He says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. He's telling her what he's come there to do. He's come there to raise her brother. And her response is, well, I know that he will rise again, she says, in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, sure, I I know he's going to rise someday. We're all going to rise someday, just like we're all going to die someday. But that's not the point. The point is that he's dead now and he's not going to rise now. Not today. Not not now. That's when Jesus makes his uh, oft-repeated statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Think about it. Jesus has told Martha he's going to raise her brother. And she said, well, I know he's going to rise someday. And he says, no, 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 you don't get this. I am the resurrection and life, and whoever believes in me will never die. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to do it right now because of who I am. And then he asks that very poignant question, a question that he asks of us. Do you believe this? I've told you something really profound, Martha. Now I want to know, do you believe what I've just said? And remember, he uses that phrase that I am. We don't get it in the English, but in the Greek, he's, he's saying ego e me right here. We talked about it the last two Sundays. Ego and me, it's the words that, that come out of the mouth of the burning bush when, when God says, tell them I am sent you. He's saying, I am of the burning bush is resurrection in life. Now, do you believe this, Martha? And what's Martha's response? She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God the one coming into the world. Now, that's a nice, that's a nice statement of faith. There's no, no problem with that. It's true, but it's not an answer to his question. You see, he asked, do you believe that I am the I am? Do you believe that, that I am resurrection in life? Do you believe that? And do you believe that if you believe what I've just said, that you will have eternal life? Do you believe that, Martha? And Martha says, well, I believe you're the Messiah and you're the son of God, the one who's coming into the world. Now, the other stuff I'm going to have to think about. 
I would question, in fact, if Martha even believes what she said. Now, I realize I've heard plenty of sermons on this where this is a great statement of faith of Martha, but listen. She has just told Jesus that she believes he is the Messiah, the Son of God. If she really believed that, she ought to be shouting it from the rooftop. You know how many generations of Jews had been waiting for the Messiah at that point? I mean, there's nothing more profound than that statement that she makes. But what does she do? She goes to her sister Mary and she says to her in verse 28, privately, that the teacher is calling you. Now in the RSV, in the King James Version, I like the word quietly. She says quietly to Mary that the teacher is calling for her. I thought she just said that Jesus was the Messiah. She's telling her sister, the teacher's here. What's happening? And why did she not answer the first question that Jesus asked in the first place? Do you believe that that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe it, Martha? Martha's struggling with it because she doesn't know. Now I want you to think for a few moments. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals. What do you think he's feeling? Wow. He is nearing the end of his ministry. He's almost been stoned to death. He probably has visions of the cross already in his mind. And his closest of friends do not understand who he is. When he has told his disciples that he's he's going to Lazarus because he's going to show the glory of God, they're all thinking, well, let's go die with him. These are his hand-picked disciples. And when he gets to his friend Martha, one of his closest of friends, he has been in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus many times. And when he gets there, she doesn't believe who he is. But maybe, just maybe, for a few moments, he has a little bit of hope because now Mary is coming to him. He's standing there on the edge of the village of Bethany and Mary is coming to him. Mary is the one who has that special relationship with Jesus. She is the one who sat at his feet when Martha was in the kitchen. She is the one who anointed him with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary will understand, clearly Mary will understand. If nobody else understands, Mary will understand. And so when she arrives at Jesus, she falls at his feet and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. No wonder Jesus wept. Verse 33 says he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He, he looked at Mary, her weeping, He looked at all the crowd, the people who had followed her there. They were all weeping. And he was deeply disturbed in spirit, uh, greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. The the two words that are used there in Greek are embromiomai and terasso. Embromiomai is translated quite literally scold. Everywhere in the New Testament, This word is used in the context of anger. 
Jesus is not sad. He's angry. Terrasso means stirred up. In the RSV, in the King James, it's troubled. It's the word that's used when the angel stirs the water of the pool to make it possible for people to be healed. His, his, his spirit is stirred. He's, he's angry. He's frustrated. He weeps not because he's sad, but because he's frustrated with his friends. This, the people standing by, they misinterpret his weeping. Some say, see how he loved him. Sermons are still preached today with that misinterpretation. I, I cannot use this text at a funeral because people need to grieve. But you see, Jesus was not weeping out of grief for Lazarus. He was there to raise him from the dead. He had no reason to be sad for Lazarus. But the people standing by, they saw his tears as though they were meant for Lazarus, not for them. See how he loved him. Others were more cynical in verse 37. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? More or less repeating what Mary and Martha had said. If you had only been here, you could have done something. When he was ill, you could have done something. But now there's nothing you can do, so you might as well go on back across the Jordan River. You're no use to us. So in verse 38, he is greatly disturbed again in Bramalmai. You can just feel it. He hears these comments. His tears are for the people standing by for their lack of vision. He's weeping for them, and they're all making all these comments around him. No wonder he's stirred up inside. That's when he tells the people, take away the stone. <laughs> even then, even then, Martha doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Why, why is he taking away the stone? Just to visit with the dead body? What do, you, what do you think he's trying to do, Martha? And what does Martha say? Ooh, already there is a stench. That's the proper side of Martha, concerned about the particular odors, the fragrances around the tomb, rather than what Jesus is getting ready to do. So Jesus gets a little testy with her. And he says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you, Martha? Why are you worried about the smell? Don't you see what I've come here to do? Don't you see who I am and what I have the power to do? Well, you and I know the rest of the story. He, you know, he says, Lazarus, come out. And then he says, unbind him and let him go. The question is, does God weep for me? Like Jesus wept for the people around that tomb, does God weep for me? And the answer is absolutely yes. We stand outside the tombs of our lives weeping over our losses, our 
petty problems, our, our difficulties. We can't make the checkbook balance. We can't find the parking place where, where we've always found it. We, you know, life, isn't, life is cruel and it's just not going the way we want it to go. And we don't see God in our midst who brings us life because we're so caught up with our own grief, our own self-centeredness. And yet Jesus stands right next to us, offering us life. You know, this story is so important to John that he spends 45 verses telling it. Do you know how many verses he uses to tell the story of the raising of Jesus? 18. What does that say? In the movie, I told you about the greatest story ever told. It's, it's in this scene of the raising of Lazarus that the hallelujah chorus is sung, not at the raising of Jesus. Why? Why is it so important? It's important because it has to do with us. It has to do with us being raised to life in the midst of our own troubles, our own difficulties. God weeps for us like a parent weeps for a child that's messing up his or her life. God sees our greed, our selfishness, our lack of justice and mercy. God sees our unforgiving hearts, our prejudices, our hurtful deeds. And God weeps for us. God is sad, but not because we're sad. God is sad because we're so blind. God is sad and frustrated and troubled because we don't see the God who offers us life standing right next to us in the midst of our problems, offering us a better way. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to your table, we are very mindful that we are often the one who has betrayed you. We're the ones who have turned our backs on you because we have not really believed you are who you say you are. As we come to your table, Lord, feed us with your truth. Amen.